Thank you for listening to the Alliance Church Podcast. We desire to connect you with God and one another, whether here in Wisconsin or around the world. Let's listen into this week's message. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, we know at least two things about you there, right? First of all, we know that you will never have to give an account of any of your sin. 100% of it is about Jesus' death and, and resurrection, and that's the gospel, that's the good news. The second thing we know, though, is that we will have a judgment of, of, of we're going to send in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Paul, he talks about this all over scripture. In 2 Corinthians 5, verse 9, he says, He says, so whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please him, as please God. And then he gives you the reason. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. That word judgment seat is one Greek word, bima. So that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or bad. He's talking to believers. We all will stand in account for what we've done in our bodies. He says about this in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. He talks about how when we've come to know Christ, we're on the foundation of Jesus, and our lives are to build for his kingdom's sake, right? And this is what he says in 1 Corinthians 3. He says, let each one take care how he builds. He says, for, now if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest, for the day will disclose it, because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved. I saw the Bema a couple of decades ago, Pete Briscoe in Texas, an adaptation on Tim Stevenson's book, The Bema, and I thought, Everybody in the church needs this message. And so last week we began, we saw the first part of our two-part modern-day parable, and we met Daniel James Mathewson. Uh, Daniel Mathewson had accepted Christ when he was young, and then for the most part neglected him the rest of his life. Uh, Jesus came back, and Daniel found himself in heaven. His angel, Muriel, told him of this judgment seat of Christ. He hadn't heard of it, and he found himself in this huge stadium. It was the judgment seat. And last week, Daniel observed several different people's judgment. And then his name was called for his judgment just as we ran out of time. And so this week, we're going to observe the judgment of Daniel James Matheson. And here's our question we want to be asking ourselves. When my name is called at the Bema, what will my judgment look like? This is the Bema, part two. Daniel James Matthewson. Well, when my name was called, I didn't have a lot of time to try to figure out what was next because my angel mural had swooped in and picked me up. Before I knew it, he deposited me at the, the foot of the steps leading up to the platform where I would come face to face with, with Jesus. Well, I climbed the stairs and sure enough, on his throne, Jesus was, was seated he was smiling. I thought that was, that was a good sign. He said, Daniel, come closer. 
Well, I went closer, and, and Jesus and I began talking, and I realized that this was the same conversation that all the previous judgments the people had had with Jesus. And Jesus said, said, Daniel, I want you to understand something about the judgment. First of all, this is nothing to do with your sin. Daniel, we could not talk about your sin if we wanted to. So great was my sacrifice for it. It, it is removed. It's gone. As far as the east is from the west, I remember it no more. And I want you to know, I knew that. But just hearing Jesus say it brought an incredible amount of security and peace. It just washed over me. I would need this later on in my judgment. He said, Daniel, this is about stewardship. I gave you 58 years of life, 46 of it in relationship with me. I gave you tremendous resources. And today we will evaluate based on what you did with what I gave you. He said, Daniel, there's something about the timing of this judgment that you have to understand. We could not have done it earlier because the ripple effect of an individual's life for, for eternity's sake cannot be measured until time ceases. Now, when Jesus said this, I couldn't help but remember a judgment that I had just previously seen of a man named D.L. Moody. Now, Moody had done a lot of things for the Lord, but one of the things he did was start this little Bible college in Chicago, and his vision was all the people could come to his, his Bible college, they could learn God's word, they could fall deeper in love with God, they could be equipped, and then they could go out and influence people for Christ. And so D.L. Moody received direct credit for every person that he directly influenced for Christ, and there, there were many, but this is the wild thing. D.L. Moody received partial credit for every single student who ever came to Moody Bible Institute, even way after this man had died. And then when they went out and influenced people, D.L. Moody received partial credit for all of them, and so on, and so on. There was this huge web of interpersonal spiritual significance. And then Jesus said, Daniel, I want you to understand as well this regarding my judgment, something of the process. Uh, Daniel, when you came to know me, you were placed on the, the foundation, and I gave you many things with which to build, and you spent your life building. If you built things for me, they were things made out of gold, silver, precious stones, but if you made things that were not necessarily for me, those things were made out of cardboard, Today, I will test the quality of your work. I will take my, my fiery gaze. It's like a giant blast furnace and put it over all of what you made. And anything that you made that was not for eternity's sake will be incinerated immediately. But anything that you made that was for eternity's sake will last. And by that, you will be rewarded. He said, said Daniel, are you ready for your judgment? Frankly, I don't think I had a whole lot of choice in the matter, but <laughs> um, oh, okay, okay, Lord. Now, if you ever had anyone say, I saw my life flash before my eyes, well, you know what? I actually did. And, and this is the crazy thing, because, because the other judgments that I saw lasted just a few seconds, but my judgment, I think, lasted the entire duration of, of my life. And I was able now to see my life through his eyes, all of it. And one of the first things that Jesus showed me was, was what happened to me when I came to know him. 
Now, I was just a little boy, but my family, we went to church that day, and in Sunday school, maybe I was listening for the first time, I don't know, I heard the gospel. I, I, again, I must have heard it before, but for some reason, that morning, it just clicked. And so I went home, and I, I got my room and locked the door, and I was just thinking about this. Uh, there is a God, and he loves me very much, but my sin gets in the way. Okay, I could see that. And God sent his own son, Jesus, to die for my sin so I don't have to worry about it, so I can have a relationship with God. Well, I dropped to my knees right there. And I said, oh, Lord Jesus, thank you for dying for me. Would you forgive me of my sin? I confessed all I knew how to confess and repented of all I know how to repent. And I said, please come into my life and make me a new person. Now, here's the amazing thing. This is probably the most amazing thing of the whole judgment. I was able to watch myself go from death to life. I was able to, to watch the Holy Spirit come into me and watch me be made new. And I thought, oh, this is amazing. And I looked at, at Jesus, and, and, and Jesus, he was smiling, but big tears were rolling down his face. And I said, oh, Jesus, thank you so much. And he said, Daniel, I've always loved you. And he said, Daniel, now, now you are on the foundation. Let's see what you've made. Well, I don't have 46 years of time to go over my judgment with you this morning. Uh, time's elastic in heaven, not down here. And so I think I'm just going to have to give you three observations that I made of my judgment at the Bema. First observation is that Jesus' opinion is all that matters. Now, I didn't say Jesus' opinion should be all that matters. At the Bama seat, trust me, Jesus' opinion is all that matters. But I had this broken thing inside me. I didn't live that way. I lived for the opinions of other people so many times. This didn't go away when I got older. It just began to manifest itself differently. But in adolescence, it really became obvious. Oh, adolescence, my, my hair, my dress, my language, my priorities. I mean, everything was directed towards, towards impressing who I thought were the cool people. My life was lived towards being cool. And this created all kinds of consternation in my house. My dad would say, son, cut your hair. <laughs> and I would say, oh, yeah, I cut it last year and I'll cut it next year if it needs it. And I thought, oh, Jesus. Why did I let the opinions of other people control so much of what I did? And he said, said, Daniel, that desire for acceptance, I put that within you to drive you to me. Daniel, I am the bread of life. Only I can satisfy. But if you choose not to feast on me, you will seek to, to fill your hunger in other places. Well, I did not feast on Jesus very much at all. This, this wanting to be cool and wanting to impress other people, it, this, this drove me through my, my whole life. I, I remember one person, specifically my best friend, Jerry. Jerry! <laughs> uh, Jerry and I, I, mean, I think we always knew each other. I think we met in, in, the, in the nursery at, at church. We did everything together. We did games together and sports together and videos. We did everything together. Uh, we decided in high school we were going to the same college that we roomed together all four years. Actually, we didn't think anything could ever separate us until we hit college. 
the first week we applied to this uh, fraternity is actually the most prestigious fraternity on campus. It's kind of a joke. It's my idea. But, but, but we assumed that we would never get in. Uh, but they called me for an interview. Now, they didn't call Jerry. And I told them, guys, we need Jerry in, in our fraternity. I mean, he's a hoot. We really need Jerry. And they said, we don't want Jerry, Daniel. But we would like you to pledge I, I didn't know what to do, and I, I explained it to him, and he said, oh, Dan, the man, you got to go for it. I'd go for it if I were you, and I knew he really wouldn't, but oh, really? Okay, hey, great. Thank you so much, and I was gone. Didn't look back. Out with my new friends, but from the Bema, I could look back, and I could see that I've hurt the absolute best friend I ever had and hurt myself, traded gold for garbage. I thought, oh, Jesus, if I could just go back and redo my, my life, it would be done so differently. The second observation from the perspective of the Bema with my judgment was that investing in people is all that matters. Now, I didn't think that I treated people poorly, but it became apparent in my judgment how poorly I did treat them. And reality was when I was on earth that people were kind of like landscaping. You know, they were there to make me look good. They really were pawns on the chessboard uh, helping me to win. And when they no longer fulfilled that purpose, they were discarded. I had places to go, money to make. I did not have time to invest in people. Too messy, low return on investment or so. I thought so I, I didn't need, need to, to go that, that way at all. I had very few positive social interactions in life, but I did have one. And Jesus reminded me uh, of this. Uh, when I was in high school, uh, my youth leader's name was Randall. Now, Randall was not the youth pastor, but he was my youth leader. He met with us guys on a regular basis, our small group, loved us probably when it wasn't real easy to love us. Um, when Randall would pray, and he prayed for me often, I could tell that he really knew Jesus. And he really knew God's word. We would ask him questions, and he would always flip, and he knew the answers, and he would show us places in God's word. And I got to tell you, at that point in life, my life was growing spiritually like a weed. I mean, nothing was more significant in my life spiritually than at that time. And Randall told me, he said, Daniel, I think you have a gift of encouragement. And if you do, God expects you to use it. Now get it to work. Well, well one day... This, this girl came to youth group. Uh, her parents had just moved in town. She didn't know anybody. Her name was, was Sandy, and you could tell uh, it was very awkward for her. So I kind of swallowed deeply, and I went up to Sandy, introduced myself to her. Then I introduced her to some of the other students and some of the other leaders. And Sandy started coming to youth group. She came on a regular basis, and I thought, oh, that's, that's great. Jesus, I forgot all about Sandy. And... and uh, Jesus, this is, this is a great thing. At the Bema seat, Jesus doesn't forget anything. And I said, what, what happened to Sandy, Jesus? And he said, oh, she's here today, Daniel, and she wants to meet you. <laughs> my, 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 my knees began to, to, to buckle. I, I, uh, what, me? And he reminded me that just a couple of, of months later, 
I had the privilege of opening up the Bible and showing Sandy how she could know Christ. I led her to Jesus. I thought, oh, that's fantastic. But it gets better. He said, he said that Sandy went on to college. And when she was at college, she was the evangelism director for her campus ministry. She led tons of people to Christ. I got partial credit for all those people. And then she got married. She had three boys. She, she raised her boys, discipled them. They were godly young men. I got partial credit for them. And then when they went out and influenced people, I got partial credit for those people. And, and Sandy had a, a gift of teaching. And she was involved in her women's ministry at her church. And whenever she taught the word of God, people's eyes were opened and people grew spiritually. And I got partial credit for all of those people and I was looking at this incredible booty of spiritual treasure thinking oh my goodness Jesus this is incredible can you can you imagine if I would have invested in more than just one person Jesus I uh I didn't have a lot of sandy experiences did I and he said no Daniel you didn't and he reminded me of Peggy I wish he would have forgotten all about Peggy. And when I got in that fraternity, my life went downhill in a hurry. Uh, the partying and drinking and girls, just all the stereotypical things. My life became pretty empty, I felt, until I met Peggy. Now, Peggy was wonderful. She wasn't like those other girls that I had met. No, no, Peggy was so positive. She was happy. She, she believed in me. She was going to take the world by, by storm. Peggy was attractively naive, if you know what I mean. She, she was not a partier. She had great morals. But it didn't take me long to corrupt her. And, and it seemed like the more influence I had on her the more negative and the more despondent despairing she became we began fighting all the time until we finally just broke up enemies I said oh Jesus whatever happened to Peggy he said well Daniel she's had three husbands the first two were violent and her third husband left her for her best friend. I thought, oh. I'm, I'm sorry, Jesus. It's, it's, it's my, my fault. I'm responsible for Peggy. And he said, no, no, Daniel. You, you were responsible to Peggy, but you're not responsible for Peggy. She's responsible for her own decisions. Everybody is responsible for their own decisions. The real sad thing about this, Daniel, is you had the opportunity to, to lead her in a positive way, to lead her to the truth, but you led her the opposite direction. So whatever happened to her he said well Daniel six months after her last divorce a co-worker led her to me I said oh, oh really Jesus that's great that's so great and he said and she's here today Daniel and wants to talk to you and I said I don't know if that's such a good idea, Lord. Maybe we can like wait a thousand years because I don't. And he said, Daniel, 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 there is no shame. There is no guilt in the heavenlies. And I just would think 
if I could have just gone back and do my life one more time, I'm telling you, if I could, I would have a whole lot less Peggy instances and a whole lot more Sandy instances. It's amazing how one day's perspective, a Bema seat perspective, changes everything. And that's what my third observation was. That a Bema seat perspective really is all that matters. When I was on earth, I thought I knew the score. You know, I mean, I was wise. I thought I could figure out life. I knew what I was doing. I knew what everyone else was supposed to be doing. But from the perspective of the Bema, I didn't have a clue. Uh, let me give you an example. Several years before Jesus came back, uh, I changed working relationships. The premier gold standard guru in my industry was a man by the name of Derek Hogan. And just to work for Derek was a sure sign of success. Oh, man. So, so the day that my phone rang, I picked it up, and it was his voice asking for me by name. <laughs> I almost passed out. And he said, Daniel, let me cut to the chase. I want to talk to you about your future, about a position, a position that's going somewhere. Well, I was in his office immediately. And he told me that, that he was a great evaluator of talent. And he thought that I had what it would take to succeed, given the right circumstances. And he told me that, that he had a moral obligation to give me those right circumstances. Said he would double my salary. He didn't even know what I was making. But, oh, whoa, Mr. Hogan, uh, I, I, I'm very interested, but, but I, I probably need to talk to my old boss, uh, John Mitchell. And he said, Daniel, that's fine. But Daniel, I expect you to do the wise, right thing for your family. And Daniel, this offer will not be on the table long. Well, I was, I was in John Mitchell's office immediately. John Mitchell, oh my goodness. He knew my father from way back. Uh, he and my dad knew each other at church. He gave me my first job right out of college when nobody else would give me the time of day. A very honest man, honest to his employees, honest to his, his, his clients, a solid, solid guy. And I, I talked with him and I said, uh, Mr. Mr. Mitchell, Derek Hogan has offered me a, a position at his place. And uh, frankly, it's a salary you, you can't compete with. And wanting to do the wise thing for myself and my family, I, I think I, I need to take the, the job. And I'm, I'm, I'm sorry, Mr. Mitchell. But I, I know that you might be concerned about some of the clients I brought into your company. Well, I promise you, I promise you, those are yours. I will not touch those. Okay? Okay? Hey, great. Well, I started for Hogan the very next day. I was 35 minutes early into the office. But something had changed. I mean, I mean, it was like a, a, a Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde thing. Uh, Derek Hogan was staring at his watch as if I was a half a day late. He started frowning and going through this huge list of expectations that, that I was supposed to meet. He laid out a work week that would destroy my family. He, he gave me a quota that, frankly, nobody could make. But I made it. Over and again, I made it. I made Derek Hogan, an incredible amount of money. I didn't do too bad for myself either. I went up two house sizes in the first 18 months. Our lifestyle just 
radically went up. Our whole family. I mean, just a, a whole different category. Now, Hogan had a box for the Sunday games. And I would be there every Sunday morning, from, from early morning to late at night, whining and dining clients and potential clients. I didn't see my family a whole lot at this time, but I could buy them anything that they, that they wanted. And I thought, this is it. My ship has come in. This is what life is about. I have arrived. That's what I thought. Until the day Derek Hogan called me into his office. When I went in, he was kind of staring out the window. Didn't even turn around to talk to me. He just said, Matthewson, you, you brokered that new century deal for Mitchell a couple of years ago, didn't you? Well, frankly, no one expected new century to come with us. I mean, new century was a huge fish. And John Mitchell's company was a very small pond. And, and this this. New Century deal would give John Mitchell 50% of his annual revenues. It was huge for him. And I said, well, yes, sir, I, I did. I mean, I, I was just, I, and he said, Matthewson, I think New Century could better be served under our umbrella. Go get me that account. I said, well, 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 no, sir. Uh, um, you see, that's John Mitchell's account, and he's depending on that, and I, I really can't do that. Well, he turned around. He was angry. I don't think too many times he was told no before. And he said, what's wrong, Matthewson? Have you got a non-compete clause in your separation agreement? Well, he knew I didn't. I said, no, no, sir, nothing like that. But I, I gave him my, my word, and he started laughing at me. He said, your word in this game means nothing. If you don't have a written agreement, you don't have an agreement. Now go get me that account. And I said, no, sir, I, I can't do that. It's a matter of principle. And he said, get it or get out. <sighs> okay. Well, I went back to John Mitchell's company. I wrestled the account away. It wasn't hard. I had all of the relationships. But I could see from the Bema, that I destroyed not just the heart, but the company of the absolute best boss I had ever had. Well, it's useless to keep going through my judgment. It just continued on more and more of the same old useless stuff. One day I went to work, went out for lunch, Jesus came back, and, and, here, and here I am. And when my judgment was done, Jesus said, okay, Daniel, your judgment is complete. Stand before me, and I will summarize your life, and you'll be glorified. I said, okay, Jesus. He said, Daniel, I gave you monetary resources beyond most of the world's wildest dreams. You should know that you were in the upper 1% of the world's wealthiest people. I, I, didn't, I didn't know, Jesus. He said, yes. And Daniel, I gave you spiritual resources beyond most of the world's wildest dreams. I gave you parents who loved me, and they modeled for you what it meant to walk with me. I gave you a church that taught you my, my word on a regular basis. I gave you people who poured into you and invested in you. I gave you two spiritual gifts, Daniel, encouragement and teaching, both of which were, were virtually unused. He said, Daniel, there were times when you, when you sought to make an impact for eternity, but those times were so few and far between. The worthlessness of your life far outweighed 
the worthwhileness of your life. I thought, what can I hear that's worse than this? And then I heard it. He said, Daniel, the summary of your life is that you left your first love. He was right, of course. I asked him into my life, and at first it was good, and then I just used him like I did everybody else so that I could get ahead. I put him on a leash and just dragged him around like a pet, I guess, so that other people could see him. I threw him in the back, back seat of my oh-so-impressive life, uh, taking him where I wanted him to go, when I wanted him to go, if I wanted him to go. I, 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 I had left Jesus. I mean, can you imagine walking away from Jesus? I left my first love, and I just crumpled to the ground, and I, I was without breath. And Jesus got off his throne, and he came to me, and he picked me up. And he said, Daniel, you need to know, though, your first love never left you. Thank you, Jesus. And he said, Daniel, there's no condemnation to those who are in me. Thank you, Jesus. And I was crying. And I, that's, it confused me a little bit. I, I said, Jesus, I didn't think there were supposed to be tears in heaven. And he said, no, my word says I will wipe all tears away. And he took his two big fingers. And he wiped my tears away. And I haven't cried since. And then he, he took me towards the, the people. And he said, this is my beloved son, Daniel James Matthewson. Daniel, be glorified. Whoa, baby, I was. I felt the lightning bolt kind of go through my body. It was, it was amazing. And all of those things that were incinerated were now obliterated from my, my memory. Well, I flew back to my, my seat. And as I was flying to my seat, I looked down to my wife and my children. And they were going, yeah, that's my dad. And I was going, I made it, guys. Whoa. Well, I sat down, and all these people were coming up to me and hugging me. And I just can't tell you how incredibly amazing this was. Well, we went on for the rest of the, the judgments. And then at the final judgment, when it was completed, uh, Jesus went and sat down on his throne. And the stadium was filled with Everybody glorified, bright as a star. And, and there was such a sense of silent worship. Well, my, my friend, remember Angora from Japan, he got four crowns. He put two on this arm and two on the other arm. Well, he flew to the front by the, the, the platform and he threw his crowns at Jesus' feet. Well, then there was another person from the stadium. They went to the foot of, the, of the, the platform, and they threw their crowns at Jesus' feet. And then another and another. Well, I reached up for my crown. I didn't have a crown. And I, I thought, if I could just go back, I would have me a crown. And the amazing thing is this was a reward ceremony, but every one of us knew that we were only there because of the amazing grace of, of Jesus. None of us deserve to be there, crowns or not. And God's grace was no longer a, a concept. It was a very, very real, tangible thing. And, and somebody in the stadium began to sing of his grace. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound 
that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now am found. Was blind, but now I see. Well, we all stood and sang with one voice. Would you stand, please? Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. Twas grace that taught my heart to fear, and grace my fears relieved. How precious did that grace appear, the hour I first believed, and my chains are God, my Savior, has ransomed me. And like a flood, His mercy reigns. Unending love, amazing grace. And the sat down, Jesus came to the foot of the platform and he said, the Bema seat judgments are now completed. I'm sure you have much catching up to do. Go. Well, keep in mind, the place had a billion people, each as bright as a star. And so as soon as he said go, it was like this giant fireworks display. I went exactly where I knew my family would be in our glorified bodies, the fulfillment of our salvation. We were so overjoyed. Well, I heard this, this person running up behind me and I looked. It was John Mitchell 
The man whose company I had destroyed, he gave me a giant bear hug and he said, oh, Daniel, I'm so glad to see you here today. I, I felt a, a tap on my shoulder. I turned around and it was Sandy, the girl I invested in in high school. And she said, Daniel, thank you for investing in me for Jesus sake. And I said, no, 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 Sandy, Sandy, thank you for being impacted by me. I mean, you're, you're like the only, only one, Sandy. I, I needed you today, Sandy, so thank you. Well, I turned, and it was Peggy, the girl I corrupted in college. But there was no guilt. There was no shame. Well, Peggy and I began walking. We're talking about how she came to know Jesus and, and all that transpired with that. And as we were talking, I was hearing this noise, this obnoxious noise. What in the world was that? What was this? Oh, no, 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 no. That was my alarm clock. My alarm clock. Wait a minute. Was, was this a dream? Was this all a dream? I want to go back. I, I screamed that. And my, my wife next to me, she woke her up. She kind of mumbled some things and rolled over. And I just sat on the foot of the bed thinking, I, I can't believe this was a dream. How many times in my dream have I said, if I could just go back, I could live my life so differently if I just had a second chance. And I realized God was giving me a second chance. And so I, I looked over, kissed my wife on the back of her head and, and whispered, honey, when you wake up, you're not going to recognize hubby. I, I walked down the hallway, stuck my head in each of my kids' rooms and just kind of whispered, daddy's home. I went downstairs and I got my, my Bible and I looked up in 2 Corinthians 5 and 1 Corinthians 3, Romans 14, a lot of different passages. They kept coming to me. And I realized that my dream wasn't too far from what would happen one day. One day, something like that would happen. And at that point, I felt compelled to stand up and dedicate the rest of my life that he's given me for living for that day and not today. And so what I need to do at this point is break character. Because Paul told us that something like that really will happen. Each of us will stand before the judgment seat of Christ. And maybe you've never heard about this. Maybe you have, but you forgot. You need to perhaps recognize that what he's giving us this weekend is a second chance. And so I want to ask anybody who feels compelled by the Holy Spirit to dedicate the rest of their lives to living for that day and not today, I want to ask you to stand with me, whether you're here or at home or online at Hortonville, wherever you are, I'm going to ask you to stand with me. And I'm going to pray a prayer of dedication out loud. And I want you to pray out loud after me. There's just something when we, when we say the words. But pray it also in your heart to Jesus. And I want you to pray and say, dear Lord Jesus, thank you for dying for me and for covering all my sin. Thank you for making me new. Thank you for my future appointment at the Bema seat. I want to live for that day. And I am so sorry for not having done so. Please forgive me for the people I've hurt. 
for the opportunities I missed, for the misplaced priorities I embraced. And on that day, when I see you face to face, may I have lived as a master craftsman. So by your grace and by your spirit, I will live for that day and not today. Amen. Now, if you're still seated, please stand. Join those who have stood. And let me just pray to say thank you, Lord, for any commitments made today, for the reminder that we belong to you, that you have an appointment for us. God, I would pray that you would guide us. You'd guide me. You know the propensity I have, we have, to live for today instead of that day. Would you give us the wisdom and discernment? And Lord, when the emotion is all gone and life is just hard, would you remind us of the commitment we made today so that when we see you, we would be pleased in the name of Jesus.